Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life, a podcast about soundtracks, music, and movies. Each episode features a guest and focuses on a specific soundtrack and the personal stories connected to it. Now here's your host, Ryan Pack. Welcome to Soundtrack Your Life. I'm your host, Ryan Pack. This is the first time we split an episode into two parts, so I'm hoping you've already listened to the first half of our episode on Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. If not, you may want to go back and listen to that first. Without further ado, here's part two of our episode on Moulin Rouge. Let's fat shame Fat Boy Slim. Oh, let's fat shame Fat Boy, fat boy Slim shame. He's just awful. It's awful in this movie. I mean, isn't that as 2002 as this movie gets? Fat Boy Slim is associated with the movie? It is the pinnacle, I think. It is bad. Can we all agree it's bad? It's so far outside of my wheelhouse that I'm even just like, I don't even know who this person is other than he's listed for Because We Can next to Nirvana Teen Spirit in this like mashup. He has some great music videos, Spike Jones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you not seen the Weapon of Choice video with Christopher Walken dancing in a hotel? No, but now I need to. Oh my God. Because there's that in the Praise You video. The Praise You video probably doesn't make any sense at this point. No, I don't think that <laughs> aged well. Uh, but the Weapon of Choice video is still pretty impressive to this day. Yeah. I will go look that up. But yeah, no, I have absolutely no idea who he is outside of being just like written as a line item on the soundtrack. And t- in 2002, he was what was considered EDM. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so horrible is that not correct no it's correct it's completely correct and it's so sad so i think he's the one that's in charge of mashing up nirvana and lady marmalade yeah it's mm-hmm. well lady marmalade i liked i feel like that worked the nirvana thing was just like a no 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 yeah i mean i'm a big nirvana fan but i don't revere smells like teen spirit is like untouchable but i was like what is this well it's just like it doesn't fit thematically like at all it makes no sense like from a melody standpoint it makes no sense thematically like even the lyrics like contextually are like weird like that song just had no place in the movie regardless of how you feel about nirvana and teen spirit it's weird Yes, that's what's so irritating about it is that it's kind of like they threw it in, like they shoehorned it in just because they could. And Mm -hmm. it's not cool and it doesn't make sense. Nirvana is like grunge. The grunge is the opposite of any visual device in that film. And like teen spirit, come as you are, like anything like that makes, it just makes no sense. Well, and also when you consider that Boz Lerman had to go to Courtney Love ask her to use this track and then also agree to give her this is a true story he had to give her an audition for the part of Satine (laughs) even though that's the most batshit insane thing ever a huge choice and not a mistake because that's a lot of effort to go through a lot of effort to go through right so she'd be like I can't even believe like the idea of her being cast in this just being like come on me (laughs) amazing and awful and and he had to be nice about it yeah like he couldn't like the story about leo where he's like yeah like let's 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 table this decision for later 
You know, he can't do that with Courtney Love. He can't afterwards be like, yeah, I told Courtney, like, yeah, maybe, maybe not Courtney. He had to be like, oh, you know, Courtney was, was great. And I considered her, but I believe the quote is like, Courtney is fire. Nicole Kidman is ice. (laughs) Is that (laughs) so not true? So many lies. It is in the, it is in the quotes for the movie that I found. Oh, yeah, oh, I'm not saying yeah. we're lying. I'm saying he's lying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he went to like Eliza Minnelli his way out of that. Just <laughs> that's, that's a that's a big whopper. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a train wreck. Your voice is beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, we'll call you. We just <laughs> forget. No, yeah, we know you have the corsets, Courtney. That's great. So, you look great. Considered a legitimate actress at one point. Remember, she was in The People versus Larry Flint, and people were like, "Oh, she's great. Let's let's nominate her for an Oscar, or at least a Golden Globe." She was good in that, actually. But she was good in that because she kind of played like, "Oh man, now I feel like I'm going to say something really offensive." But she kind of played this, you know, like tired lady. trying to find a nice thing to say about it but it was just kind of like you know she's kind of like this washed up hardened character whereas not exactly like nicole kidman level like hanging from a swing on the ceiling showgirl like pristine showgirl i don't think she's ever gonna pull that off uh so let's talk about lady marmalade Ah, (laughs) been listening all day so so this is also i feel like very 2002 Mm -hmm. uh so it's a cover that was remade with a Little Kim rap verse in the middle of it. Uh, but it's Christina Aguilera, Pink, Lil' Kim, and Missy Elliott. Yeah, and Missy Missy shows up like just as the MC, right? Like she's just there to be like, Xtina, Lil' Kim. <laughs> yeah, way underutilized. Yeah, way underutilized. Because she could have been like the best part of this. I feel like, was there not one more person in that? Did we say Maya? We said Maya. Oh yeah, Maya. I forgot Maya. Oh, I, I feel bad. Must have forgotten Maya by now. I was like, wait, I'm trying to like look this up. I'm like, I feel like there was one more person. <laughs> yeah, it's Maya. Maya is like, I don't know, your high school friend in AP history that just kind of she's really pretty, but she's also really conservative, and you kind of don't know how she found her way into this whole thing. Like, I watched <laughs> the video on YouTube just to because I hate myself and wanted to see my eye holes out, I guess. And it is bad. Like, it's bad. It's not great, guys. I don't know. Again, I feel like it's so much fun. Like, you just have to go in with, like, level setting what it is and what it's trying to accomplish. I really wanted to believe that it was, like, still a bop. Like, oh, yeah, I I get why this was everywhere. I get why this was, like, ubiquitous in 2001, 2002. And, like, it's still catchy like it's got its merits um but yeah parts better than others <laughs> maya's part oh it's a little weak and who would think that pink is the most relevant person 18 years later I, right i mean like missy like she's still relevant but you know she had some health issues but like if in 2002 if you're like hey pink's gonna be way more popular than christina aguilera in 2020 you probably think it's because you know, Christina died or something. <laughs> I mean, maybe she's more relevant musically, but I also kind of feel like Xtina has, she's stuck around. She's held around. Isn't she on The Voice? Yeah, I mean, she's like, has like her TV show stuff. She's done like song appearances for the Oscars. Like, 
I mean, I think she's taken like a back seat since she started having like a family and has done more family stuff, but like she's still around. Justice for Tina. You know who's not still around is little Kim. Oh, that's just sad. It's just sad. <laughs> it's sad because actually I think like her part is probably my favorite part in the whole thing because at least it has like personality. Like she she's doing the most in it. Like she's doing she's great. I like it. But she yeah, man, that's a sad decline. <laughs> She only shows up whenever a new, like, female rapper comes out that's really popular. So, like, Nicki Minaj showed up, and she's like, Nicki's jacking my style. And then she went away, and then Cardi B got popular, and then Nicki and Little Kim were like, oh, she's just jacking my style. (laughs) But she's only there to, like, feud with people now. It's so true. You know, I was wondering when I was watching this video, too, is, like, did this beget the pussycat dolls or did the pussycat dolls beget this moulin rouge thing like what came first i think this did this yeah, first dolls like more like 2006 yeah that sounds right and then like there was kind of this whole and maybe this movie started it right like this whole kind of weird trend towards like burlesque like maybe. i mean because also uh dita von Teese was like yeah. really big at the time I wouldn't be surprised if Dita Von wasn't at some level like the inspiration for this film too. Her costume that like some of her costuming is super similar. I feel like to the stuff that they put Nicole Kidman in like that mm-hmm. one, like um, opening number or whatever, like sequin silver thing that she wears on the swing is very Dita. Mm-hmm. And that red dress too. The red dress is very Dita. Yeah. That's a good point. I, maybe it's just like a matter of um, lots of trends kind of, converging at the same time but I did kind of wonder if there were things that this movie set off because I can I can like recognize the fact that it it's pretty stylish still and it it has like this kind of iconic place it's almost like that movie that like you would rather look at than actually watch because <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to look at yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, it's wonderful eye candy if it wasn't for that ridiculous frame rate thing. Like, again, fix that and you're already, like, 30% better. I wish we could just cut out, like, the entire first, like, 20 minutes almost. Yeah. Literally, like, the whole, like, parts before he goes to the Moulin Rouge for the first time is really bad. It's so frenetic and the editing is so bad and it's kind of, see, now we're in movie podcast again. But honestly, like, <laughs> it's so bad. It hurts me a lot inside. It's really bad. It's like, being at a party where everybody is on coke, but you're not on coke. <laughs> like, everyone's just like, yeah, we've got the best ideas all the time. Let's Except about this it. instance, it's the green fairy, not the coke. Right, right. I guess you're supposed to believe, like, again, this the absinthe is somehow to blame. But we are the victims <laughs> in this scenario because it's such a horrible 20 minutes. <laughs> we also have to explain again that Nicole is not a horrible drug addict. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I'm not like he's coming up. Never even done coke. <laughs> well, for people who did enjoy listening to Nicole Kidman singing in this soundtrack, another fun fact is she ended up singing the intro for the recent HBO show The Undoing that she's in. She sings a cover of Dream a Little Dream of Me. Um, for that. It wasn't supposed to be that way. I don't know exactly the story of how it ended up, but the showrunner was like, Oh, like, why don't you um, send us like a version and this was during the pandemic actually so she was in quarantine but obviously she's married to Keith Urban so they had like a sound booth at their house 
Um, she sang it. She thought they were going to hate it. She was absolutely certain that they weren't going to use it. And they ended up using it. And she's like, oh, cool. Great. <laughs> wow. That's actually really impressive. I feel like there's this um, there's this long and mixed tradition of actors learning how to sing for roles. And I do feel like you and Nicole really pull it off. I feel like they do a more respectable job than a lot of actors have done. Mm-hmm. With, uh, with similar challenges, right? Yeah, no, I think that they did a great job. I think there could have been a little bit better work, again, with the lip singing and, like, matching that up, but that's not on them yeah. by any means. Um, that and the ADR, again, like, really killed me throughout the whole thing, but I feel like the singing was super strong. Like, you can tell that Nicole Kidman's voice isn't, like, the most amazing voice ever, but she knows how to work with what she has. And she makes these songs like really work. And then Ian McGregor actually has some pipes. But I mean, also he's Scottish. So I feel like that's kind of a birthright, right? Yeah, that's kind of my feeling on it, too, is that like, well, I guess you've been singing in pubs since you were born, (laughs) since you were in bloom. So you're Scottish and that makes sense. Yeah, Ewan McGregor's another one that has like sung in movies before, too. He's in this movie called Velvet Goldmine, where he plays kind of this like, pseudo Iggy Pop character and there's like a whole scene where he does Iggy Pop's um Gimme Danger Stooges Gimme Danger which is it's really respectable like he does a great job with it but I think it's because it's the salesmanship of being an actor like you can sell it you can Mm -hmm. sell it with like your personality and your pantomime you don't necessarily have like the most fantastic vocal range but you're you're getting it done people are buying it Mm -hmm. yeah I think that definitely comes to play in Nicole's rendition of Dream a Little Dream of Me Um, her delivery of it like really works well with like her singing ability I think and so it works like I enjoyed it even though the actual title sequence is really weird for that show Um, but the song I really enjoy the song yeah and I actually like the songs in the movie that they that they sing like I think they're kind of the they're the high points right like Mm -hmm. that weird elephant love medley even though I don't like every song that they chose for it um, the Tom Jones bit is weird for me (laughs) (laughs) like it's got a lot of weird moments um it's you know it's nice yeah I think that one your song and come what may and then also Roxanne are my four favorites um for the entire soundtrack yeah so they're definitely like elevating the material I think like and they have great chemistry in this movie I will say Mm mm-hmm like, yeah, as leads, they have really good chemistry. They're really kind of carrying the film because the rest of the characters are, to me at least, like kind of grating and unlikable and terrible. Yeah, the rest of the characters are pretty like divisive and one dimensional. And I will say, like I said, the whole film itself is a little bit rushed. There could have been a little bit more development up front of their romance, but because they have so much chemistry together, it still works. Like they still carry that you know, immediate, like, love at first sight just because their chemistry is so strong. Yeah. I can agree with that. Even though I hate so much of the choices, (laughs) so many of the choices in this movie, I do really like the casting of of them as the leads. I think that was, like, one of the smarter choices. You know what other song that I like from this movie that is probably going to sound weird, but there's this song on the soundtrack by Rufus Wainwright called Complaint de la Butte. Oh, that one. Right. I was going to say, I don't even catch where that is in the movie, but I do like that song too. It's in the beginning, I think, like one of the beginning sequences um, that isn't like frenetic and insane. And it's it's actually like a really nice song. I like Rufus Wainwright. I think he's cool. And he has um, 
he's French Canadian. So like he wrote the song for the movie, which is one of like the rare instances where there's something in here that's original to the film itself. And it's, it's a good song. Like it actually kind of stands, I think on its own merit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely enjoy that one. I feel like this was like a Moulin Rouge exorcism. <laughs> like I just had so many thoughts in my head about this movie that I needed to just really get out. So yeah, I didn't want to live with myself like this anymore. I'm glad we talked about it. <laughs> Surprisingly economical soundtrack. It's not terribly long and there aren't a lot of like bonus tracks or anything because I think they couldn't afford the licensing to like okay here's I will always love you but the full version so there isn't really anything like that it's just kind of um the medleys from the film the David Bowie song the fat boy slim song the Rufus the Rufus song and then um yeah and then the um the lady marmalade is it marmalade marmalade it's marmalade I thought said marmalade I think that might be a potato potato thing because I feel like in the song, they're like marmalade. But I don't know. No clue. <laughs> we'll ask our listeners. Well, literally <laughs> nothing matters in terms of how you pronounce things. Because there are no French people in this movie set in Paris, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of have to give uh, Baz Luhrmann props for putting John Leguizamo in a movie as a French person. <laughs> like... This movie is like, speaking of like minor hate crimes against other countries, this movie has no French people, no French accents, and then an entire musical number built around like Bollywood with um, no Indian people (laughs) at all. I did get a kick out of uh, Ewan McGregor saying Maharaja a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty good. So Moulin Rouge was the first musical to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture since Beauty and the Beast in 1991. That's insane. That's like 10 years. 10 years no musical was like nominated. Also, what was nominated before Beauty and the Beast? I wonder how long a gap there was there. As Ryan goes to Google. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm just assuming there's probably a pretty large gap. Also, Beauty and the Beast is not the same. So, like, live action musical, right? Because Beauty and the Beast is animated. I feel like animated, especially Disney films, won a lot of musical, like, awards for musicals. I feel feel like like they weren't nominated for Best Picture, though. So that's a big deal. Because, like, Best Picture category is, like, it. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast, 1991, All That Jazz, 1979. Oh, wow. So, big gap. So 12 years, right? So that's 12 years and then 11 years between Beauty and the Beast and Moulin Rouge. But didn't after that, didn't they make musicals and comedies a separate category for that reason? Because it was just so hard for them to contend against like the big, serious, heavy hitters. I think that's Golden Globes. That's Golden Globes. Mm. Yeah. I think Academy Awards are still, it's like all or nothing. Still all together. Mm -hmm. Huh. Interesting. Beauty and the Beast and Moulin Rouge. And then Chicago one year after Moulin Rouge came out. Oh, see. Okay, so I think Moulin Rouge started kind of a little bit of a restarted, a little trend, right? I feel like... musical renaissance. A musical renaissance, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) I do remember Chicago being like a really big deal. Like everyone saw it. I didn't see it. You didn't see it? 
Oh my god, am I the only person who sees Chicago? I've never seen Chicago. I'm sorry. I've never seen any iteration of Chicago. I know the basic plot and I've seen scenes, maybe. Like, I'm not like you, Brandis, where I just avoid the internet if I've never seen a movie. Like, I've seen clips. Yeah. No, I mean, that's only a big deal because I'm the one who hasn't seen things. Every single time we talk about something, I'm the one who hasn't seen it. So how have I seen something that you guys haven't seen? Well, congratulations. (laughs) Yeah, it's a musical. Rude. It's true, though. But I don't like musicals. How is this a thing? You're saying that. You're saying that. But I feel like you kind of do. I feel like those are the only two that I've seen, though. I, I don't know that I've seen others. I like Broadway musicals that are performed live, usually. Mm, no, it makes me uncomfortable. It makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I think from this time period, the only musical I liked was Hedwig. Oh, Hedwig was good. Hedwig is good. Haven't seen it. Well, there we go. Now we're full circle. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't seen it. Hedwig is good. Um, you would like Hedwig and the Angry Inch, Brandis, I feel. But also I said that about train spotting, and I was very wrong. So very, very wrong. Wait, so I want to know what Moulin Rouge was up against. Oh, I want to I want to know Brandis's reaction to what the angry inch is when she watches. <laughs> So Moulin Rouge went up against Gosford Park, A Beautiful Mind, In the Bedroom, and Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. So as far as the nominees go, I feel like it is the second most relevant film. I was going to say, what one? Because I barely remember any of those movies. I believe it was A Beautiful Mind. Ah, okay. I don't know if that's aged particularly well yeah i feel like they invented the term oscar bait for movies like a beautiful mind so again at least like moulin rouge for all of its flaws and now i'm back on team brandis for all of its flaws it is really unique and it does kind of stand alone and i think that's why people embrace it the way that they do because there's something very special about it Mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's literally nothing else like it and that's not shade (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it being special, you know, like it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's unique. It stands apart. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah, no, I remember A Beautiful Mind. That was definitely like a heavy hitter at the time. Um, Oscar bait is certainly a great uh, term to be coined from that. And then Lord of the Rings. I mean, obviously I am a huge Lord of the Rings fan. So loved that movie. Love, love, have seen many times, but I don't know that I would ever put it up for an Oscar. <laughs> So let me know if this is a hot take, but is the movie that is closest to Moulin Rouge across the universe? Huh. Yes. Haven't seen it. So that's also a jukebox. I hate saying jukebox. This is also a jukebox musical, but all Beatles songs. Yeah, but for the Beatles. Yeah. I thought it was a big piece of shit. Yeah. I might like it even less. And it also has Bono. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Common denominator, Bono. Wait, this isn't the one that we talked about last time where it's like the guy, quote unquote, invents these Beatles songs because no one remembers them. Oh, uh, so this is a musical ba- based on like using the Beatles songs as plot. Mm. Evan Rachel Wood is in it. Hmm. So fairly recent. 
it's fairly oh. within the last 10 years for sure like 2008 2009 maybe huh. no, no haven't seen it wait let me let me look it up across the universe was 2007 oh wow it's way older than i thought but you know you have characters named jude and prudence <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and you know they're saying, I want to hold your hand while they're like longing for someone. And I kind of feel like without the without the biopic element that across the universe is almost more kindred to the Elton John Rocketman movie. We're using uh, that I haven't seen yet. Oh, uh, OK. So it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same premise where they use the songs as kind of stand ins for the characters feelings, but they're like lifts of the full song. So it's still different than Moulin Rouge in that. It, Moulin Rouge really like makes a soup out of all kinds of pop culture music references. It's a, so across the universe, it's just a little bit more focused, I guess. Mm. This is going to be a very unpopular opinion, like super unpopular opinion. So for all the people we haven't yet offended, I will now officially <laughs> close that loop. But for me, I think the closest thing to Moulin Rouge in terms of mixing up the tone of taking like a very dramatic and tragic um, storyline and then making it just like a bit absurd and over the top and like this just very like ostentatious um, showpiece is cabaret. I feel like just like all of the eye candy happening and just kind of glossing over sort of like the trauma of the piece. Um, I know that Cabaret is a lot more serious than um, Moulin Rouge is, but for me, they're a little bit similar in that way. Okay, well, this is only a hot take if you're someone that likes musicals. <laughs> I have never seen Cabaret. I've only seen an abridged Cabaret in the season five Shits of Shit's Creek. <laughs> I have only seen, in my defense, I've only seen Cabaret because I am such a huge Arrested Development fan and I felt like I couldn't understand Lucille 2 without having seen at least one Liza Minnelli film and that's like one of the biggest ones. So I literally watched Cabaret so I could understand Lucille 2. That's actually my favorite reason I've ever heard for wanting to watch Cabaret. <laughs> I like how we both only know of Cabaret because of sitcoms. <laughs> I'm like Ryan though like I've only I've only ever seen you know like references in other work to cabaret so it's kind of one of those things where like I feel like I know it a little bit but I'm not going to go out of my way to watch cabaret I'm an uncultured swine (laughs) I mean it's definitely it's not it's way more serious than Moulin Rouge's and I think Again, in terms of like me not liking musicals, I actually did enjoy Cabaret because it is such a weird tonality to take with such a serious piece of subject matter. Um, and is definitely like a visual spectacle as well. So I think all those things are like in line with Moulin Rouge. Um, and I don't mind the reason why, again, like I said, I don't like musicals is because it's so weird that they just like start singing a song. Like it's super weird. But in cabaret because so much of the film takes place literally on the stage of the cabaret the music works for that too like it has more context so that's why it works for me but you you think it's fair to say that cabaret is kind of an inspiration point for moulin rouge since there are you know showgirls probably yeah i think like maybe like a mix between cabaret and breakfast at tiffany's 
Yeah, I mean, like, there's definitely a source material, right? Like, I'm sure Boz Lerman mm-hmm. is also a huge fan of musicals, just like you, Brandis. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So the takeaway is I love musicals. I love pentatonics. <laughs> um in acapella and really I just use Nine Inch Nails Trent Reznor as like a cover. <laughs> I've actually never listened to any Trent Reznor music. Um, <laughs> I'm just glad that you're finally admitting it. That's the first step. I, I only throw that out there to sound cool. Same thing with Jack White. Haven't listened to any of it. Don't own any of his records. <laughs> I only have like poppy acapella shit from Yale. <laughs> All her playlists are secretly pentatonics. They are. The cast recording of Sound of Music. (laughs) A really obscure one. I leave for five minutes when we're back on pentatonics. (laughs) I was just about to say, Ryan's going to come back and just be like, what the fuck? (laughs) They've gone off script again. No, you missed some really great parts. (laughs) Well, I left a recording. (laughs) You'll wish you hadn't. (laughs) Rude. (laughs) no i was just like i said offending the rest of your audience because a lot of people take cabaret very seriously and it's this really beloved film and i just compared it to milan rouge so same with breakfast and tiffany's i'm just offending everyone i think you misjudged my audience i think most of them are (laughs) going to be like oh yeah that was in schitt's creek (laughs) (laughs) yeah um little highbrow for this podcast, Brandon. Sorry. <laughs> I'm glad, Nicole, that you got through Shit's Creek. Well, I haven't seen all of it. I'm currently binging it, so I have a couple more seasons to finish. But not. But it got better after the first season, right? It gets way better, and it, it gets um, really endearing, and I've decided that it's totally off topic, so I'm sorry to cut this out, but the character that I don't like is Roland Shit, and I think because he was in it, so much the first season that it gave it this Joe Dirt vibe that I really hated and then it got better and it got more focused on like the roses and I love it yeah that's pretty much my thoughts on it yeah I can't stand it I've tried I've tried skipping ahead I've tried episodes from different seasons I've seen in total maybe seven episodes can't and I love Catherine O'Hara so it kills me I know. And she's so great in this. And she gets even better over time. Like her character just gets more unhinged and it's really fun to watch her character and uh, Daniel Levy's character, I think have kind of the most fun on the show. But, but you have to buy into the kids, I think, to be able to enjoy the show. You do. I think that's why I hate it is I hate the kids. Uh, That's hard. Yeah. It's, tonally I did not love the first season I felt like it just was a ripoff of a ripoff and it wasn't working for me and then suddenly it kind of like finds this weird stride where it kind of has its own voice and um I don't know I like this kind of like there's something nice right now about this like fictional weird like utopian Canadian country town where like there's apparently no homophobia and everyone's just like nice (laughs) it's a nice show to watch currently (laughs) I'm super offended by Twitter right now where people are like, you know, I guess Gen Zers are like, oh my God, she was in Home Alone and Beetlejuice? What? And I'm like, I hate everyone. Okay. All right. That's like actually trending on Twitter. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Because Catherine O'Hara just did re- re- um, recreated famous scenes from like all of her movies. Oh my God. And everyone was like freaking out like, holy shit, what is this? What is this movie that I haven't seen? Or I didn't know she was in that. And it's just like, who doesn't know she's in Home Alone? 
I know who is sleeping on Catherine O'Hara. She's been a treasure for like decades. Exactly. Now, what, what scene did she recreate from Waiting for Guffman? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure. I actually haven't seen the source material. I've only seen a news excerpt on the trending on Twitter of the news excerpt of her recreation. That must be hard for you not being on social media because you've got to go like five steps away. Because you have to use the news. (laughs) Well, it's not like I'm trying to seek out what are Twitter moments, but not on Twitter. It's just like, that just happens to be what I see. And then I'm like, well, I'm glad I'm not on Twitter. If this is what's on Twitter is people not knowing what Catherine Harris is. (laughs) Right. Like another good decision. Click. (laughs) It's funny because I feel like Catherine O'Hara, we can call Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy like America's mom and dad, even though they're both Canadian, (laughs) but just took us like 30 years to get there after Home Alone and American Pie. Totally. Yes. Mm -hmm. That I appreciate. I I appreciate them there. It's, it took a while for me to embrace it, but once I got into what they were doing, I felt like much like Moulin Rouge, I just kind of let it take me. I just gave into it, and I like it now. <laughs> Once Alexis's obnoxiousness becomes endearing, it's right. a lot more, it becomes a lot more fun. I think everyone in the first season is just too high key, and doesn't ha- it doesn't have any kind of depth or any kind of um, there's no like kind of undulation to the comedy, but it gets much better as you go along. Like they really find out who these characters actually are, and they're much more likable. Which makes sense because they have to get to a point where they're like, okay, well, now we're stuck here and we're changing. See, it's weird because it is basically the Canadian version of Arrested Development. So by all means, I should love it because that's my favorite show of all time, but it just doesn't work for me. Yeah, it didn't work for me either. And I've talked to other people where it's like it didn't work for me and then they restarted. And but yeah, I don't know. It took some time. I pushed through. And now I know Cabaret. And I guess it's like Moulin Rouge because there's costumes. <laughs> there, see, we can make anything topical. Uh, well, thank you, Nicole and Brandis, for coming back. Thanks, Ryan. This was um, this was probably the most fun that I've had on this podcast so far, just because I had so many things to say uh, about this movie. So, thank you, letting for letting me get this all off my chest. More fun than me berating you for the whole train spotting experience? Yeah, it's definitely more fun than that because I'm so mad you didn't like train spotting. So at least I'm halfway there with you on Moulin Rouge. At least this is a movie that when the pandemic is over, we can watch this together. <laughs> yeah, I think you broke Nicole's heart over train spotting. I'm a little sad. I'm a little sad, but it's going to be okay. Feel free to download the other Nicole and Brandis related episodes from season one. They're all great. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us review or ratings on whatever podcasting platform you use. Thank you for listening again. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us this week on Soundtrack Your Life. Make sure to visit our website, SoundtrackYourLife.net, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too.